The first reading today is from Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 7 and 15 through 16. You'll find this on page 12 uh, in your pew Bible. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And the next reading is Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be re rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. But today I'm going to talk about promises, promises, promises. I don't know what your uh, experience in life of uh, promises are. Um, promises made about what's going to make a successful life. Or any promises that have made, been made to you over time that either have been kept or not kept. Maybe promises you've made that you've kept or not kept. 
But we're going to deal a little bit with that idea of uh, the promises today and what causes us to really trust them and believe the promises versus uh, say, no, it can't be true. And by the time most of us get to a certain age, I think we maybe have had enough experiences of uh, promises broken, failed promises to sometimes be a little bit jaded about the subject. But for some reason, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking back on my, uh, my lifetime of trying to uh, go out and get a job when I needed a job. And um, I remember reading all these books about how to get a job. Um, and uh, and I, I, I remember believing them. There was a, a very popular one. I don't even know if they still do it. They used to put it out every year. Uh, what color is your parachute is what it was called. And, um, and they would renew this every year and update it with things that you needed to do. It looks like Joe maybe has read it. I don't know. But, yeah. And, um, and so I would soak this up and I, and, and, and I would believe the promises that in this book that if I just followed certain things that the job would emerge. So I remember one time when um, I actually got laid off from a job just um, a few weeks before Nick was born, before my son Nick was born. And actually my last day um, was the, the day he was born. Um, and um, so it could have been a very nerve-wracking time because here our second child's coming and I don't have a job um, and, uh, and what are we going to do? But I had been reading this stuff and getting ready from the weeks before, before he was born when I knew I was going to have that last day and I had started following the process that was laid out in this book. And I did everything to a T. And I just was relaxed. I just knew that a job would come. And sure enough, six weeks after Nick was born, I, uh, which was a little bit less than three months after I started the job hunt, um, there the job came. You know? And I remember just enjoying Nick in his first few weeks of life, saying, gosh, I get to spend all this time with him. Yeah, I'm job searching, which is a job unto itself, but I have a lot more time and relaxation with this new baby than I would have had otherwise. And I don't remember being tense about it at all. Um, but then I was, as I was thinking this week, having believed those promises, that a few years later there has been different times when I was between jobs and I needed to get something right away and I felt the pressure of it and I would tell myself, yeah, I believe in all the promises of how you get a job and just trust the process, but I also felt like I had to defy the odds and I had to do it quicker. And so I kept pressing and pushing and I got more turndowns or an interview where I thought I did great and they didn't. And, and, uh, and, it, and it wasn't working out. And I remember feeling the pressure of that. Uh, and so as I was thinking this week about promises, when you really live into the promises that you trust, you relax into them. And when you relax into them, you interact differently. You do things different. That, that early time looking for the job when... Somehow I didn't let the pressures get to me and I just trusted the promises and lived into them. 
it really did work. But when I tried to uh, mix it up with my own pressures and maybe modify it in some ways because I felt like I had a shorter timeline, it actually took longer. It actually was harder. It was actually more stressful. And I actually had more rejection, you might say. Um, so I thought of all that. I was reflecting on all that as I was looking at this Genesis story about uh, Abram and Sarah, Sarai. Um, to be renamed by the end of the story, Abraham and Sarah. Um, you know, I, I think it takes a little bit of perspective on their life. If you read all the references in Genesis to Abraham, we get a lot of uh, uh, information about his age at different points in the process that are going on here. Um, and uh, so one of the things we know is that the first time that God uh, tells him that uh, he has a covenant for him, and says, you're going to have the multitude. He was 75 years old. 75 years old, okay? Now, it's true, he did live to 175, according to Genesis. Um, I don't know what to do with that exactly, but it says he lived to 175. So, but still, 75 years, even if you're going to live to 175, is a long time, right? We don't have no evidence that he received any covenantal call before he was 75 years old. So what was he up to? What was he doing up to that point? Um, so he gets that covenant call, but what he also knows is that uh, his wife Sarah is barren. Now, you have to understand that the promises from God that would come back then, there were two very, very important things if you were going to be a success. You know? There's different things today. But the two very important things, um, as a man, be clear, was that you would have land, and you would have offspring who would inherit and carry on your heritage and continue to build it. Those were two very important things. And Abraham has promised these things in the covenant. And he's promised there's going to be multitudes. But he's got a barren wife. What is going to happen? Well, ten more years go by. And Abraham, Abram at the time, is now 85. And he, Sarah comes to him and offers her slave, we won't get into the slavery question right now, but her slave Hagar says, I can't help you. So, this has been going on a long time. So, maybe that's where your offspring needs to come from. Um, doesn't work out real well in so many ways, and that's another story, but Ishmael is the one who comes from that. Um, and there's a whole story about the line of Ishmael and as part of the land of Israel. Um, but now another Ishmael is born when Abraham is now uh, 86. 13 years later, he gets another promise from God that Sarah is going to give him an offspring. I mean, 
So just think about this. I mean, I realize we can't necessarily relate to the situation back in this kind of a culture where these things are, were important then. We have a different measurement of how these things work today. Um, but just imagine receiving promises and waiting decade and another decade plus, and it doesn't seem to be working out. At what point do you say, this can't be true? There can't be anything to this, right? Have you had those things in your life? And it's one of the things during this Lenten season that I'm hoping we can do, is we can look at the promises about our life that have come to us. Maybe it came to you in prayer, but maybe it came to you through parents or through mentors or through other readings and study you did or your own reflections or whatever, and you set out on a course to live into those promises. And you went long periods of time with no evidence those promises would ever become reality for your life. So this is what's going on for Abraham and Sarah. A lot of years in between. And so finally, when he's 100 and Sarah is 90, Isaac is born, and that's another whole story. You know, the, the, the line is passed now from Abraham to Isaac, and this is the first moment when Abraham is 100 years old of the promise being met by actual, real, touchable reality, right? Um, and he lives for another 75 years. So all of this, if you can get put aside things like uh, the slavery issue you have to deal with in that story and, uh, and, uh, and all, a few other things about the priorities that we view differently in our world today than they might have viewed. But the question really has to do, because it really is a question of our core humanity, um, what are the promises you believe about this life? And which ones are you still struggling with? Which ones have you abandoned because you didn't see any evidence of them? Which one have you been relaxingly able to live into? Which ones have you gotten yourself all tied up in knots around and maybe because of that you, you saw no evidence? I mean, if you go back to my job stuff, when these promises happen, you have to, tr when, you, when you buy into them, you have to trust them enough to relaxingly live into them. If you don't, we sabotage them ourselves by our, our own thoughts, by our own actions. So now we come, with that in mind, we come to Jesus. And we come to this reading in the 8th chapter of Mark. And Jesus is teaching and pretty much giving promises about what the reality of life is like and is going to be like because of what Jesus is doing. Um, and it is Peter who can't deal with it. He can't deal with the fact that Jesus sees the reality of what's going to happen, that he is going to suffer, he's going to die. Um, and he even says, after three days, rise again. But, but I don't think Peter quite hears that because he still doesn't want this scenario. He doesn't want this reality. 
So he rebukes Jesus. And he basically cannot accept it. And so he gets rebuked back by Jesus. He says, get behind me, Satan. Which is really language to say, get behind me if you're not going to deal with reality, if you're going to create your own reality, then these promises can't come true. And everything that I've come here to show you the way for, it won't happen. Because you're dealing with something made up over here instead of what is really real, the real promises that come from and flow out of the unconditional love of God. So, as we go through Lent, we lead ourselves towards that Holy Week. We lead ourselves towards a commemoration of those events in those three days. From the time in the garden, and the time at the Last Supper, the time of arrest, and the time being tortured and brutalized and walked to the cross and dying on the cross and the silence after that. Holy Saturday, nothing, no events, quiet. And there are the promises all gone. And then the new hope that arises on the Sunday. So here's the deal. As followers of Jesus, the question is for us, whether we believe in the promises and are willing to walk and follow the path of Jesus. Now the promises don't have to do with anything magical. They have a lot to do with the reality of how life works. And the reality of how life works is that you must lose your life before you can gain it. You must be willing to walk the path through suffering, through rejection. You must be willing to risk everything that you had imagined dying while trusting the promises. And when you do that, that is when the promises will come true. That's when you're able to rise again and see the new day and the new light. So, back to my job thing. I trusted that whole process. I trusted that there were going to be days that didn't work out. There were going to be failures. There were going to be rejections. I trusted all of that that first time through the process. And so, you know what happened? I didn't sabotage anything. Because I didn't... I guess I didn't get that job because I wasn't supposed to get that job. Whereas later on in life, when I felt the pressure of having to get something right away, I didn't get that job because I'm no good. I didn't get that job because maybe I'm supposed to start a whole new career. You know? You know, maybe I don't have the skills anymore. Maybe I've lost time. You know, maybe all of this. And then I would cycle in and dig in harder to try to get the next job, hoping everything I just thought wasn't true, but still thinking it was. You know? So we spend a lot of our lives wanting to believe the promises of God, wanting to believe that we're unconditionally loved by God, wanting to understand the reality of the process of what that means, that 
that that does not mean we get what we want in every moment, but it means that our lives are transformed when we understand we are unconditionally loved and we are therefore able to love. It's not a transactional thing that guarantees certain results in certain situations, but it is something that leads us to the fullness of life as followers of Jesus. But we spend a lot of our time sabotaging that because we feel other pressures and other kinds of realities come upon us and maybe sometimes even other people say, don't, don't believe that stuff. You can't do that. You, you have to try a different way. It's not going to work. You know, it's nice that you go pray and it's nice that you do these things, but in the end you've got to be real and you've got to be practical. Right? And so... The promise is get eroded. And we stop living into them. So Lent is a time for us to look at that cycle in our lives, to look at what are some of those promises. What are the ones from God, from the reality of love in this universe that we have believed in, we have hoped in, but we have sometimes not lived fully into? What are some of the false ones, like the get-behind-me-Satan ones, that we have hoped would get us through the moment, but in doing, we have sabotaged the very core of who we are and the very reality of what is true and authentic and deep in our own lives, in our own being, in our own identity? Lent is a time to reflect on those things. To slow down enough to take a deep breath and to renew the promises of God. To renew the promises that go back to Abraham and Sarah and come through all the promises of Jesus with his disciples that have come to us this day. And to recommit ourselves to some habits in our life that help us get back to the basics with these promises. What is it going to take so we don't sabotage ourselves in the future? What is it going to take so that we can understand what it means to truly live into these promises of God? And where is it that I need to be willing to lose my life so that my very life can be saved? Where is it that I need to do that? This is at the core of the Lenten journey. It's the core of what these scripture passages are about today. So may our hearts and our minds be open and honest in this Lenten season that all the promises of God may live through us with fullness as we approach Easter. Easter.